You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. 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 It rained. How about that? Praise the Lord for the rain. I cannot get, I guess I can get enough of it because uh, Midland is flooding at the moment, but uh, I think all of us will take the flood over the last 12 months. Uh, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 12. We are in our series uh, walking through some of the parables that Jesus taught. If you're new to the Bible, new to Christianity, uh, parables are stories that were made up so that they might teach us a lesson. Normally they use very familiar things in life, especially in the first century. These would have been familiar uh, things and details and stories to the first century hearers uh, so that Jesus could connect the dots between what they understand and what they don't yet understand, what's familiar to them and what is still unfamiliar to them. Uh, And uh, I'll just kind of come out of the gate and let you know this, which I feel like I've said this many, many times, but this is one of my favorite passages. Uh, I probably have two or three that I would say these are my favorite parables and this is one of them. And not only is it one of my favorite, I preached it, I, I looked back in my notes and I preached it here before. Uh, about five, five and a half years ago. Anybody remember that? You don't even know what we're doing yet. Okay, well, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Is that Mary? Uh, I'm so excited about this text. This, uh, it, it, some people call it, in your Bible, it might be called the rich fool. I call it the parable of bigger barns. Uh, not only do I just, uh, I think it's very uh, applicable and helpful to me, I honestly think this is one of the most timely messages that you could hear. Uh, If I were to invite Jesus to come preach on a Sunday morning uh, at Redeemer in Midland, Texas, when oil is up, I I just, I, I wonder if he would not use this parable for this moment in time, for these people in this room uh, to share with us something that we probably desperately need to hear. Uh, And I will say this, if you listen to this parable and what Jesus has to say, And you heed it, like you take it in and think, oh, this is for me. There's something that I need to learn from this. And you respond to it. There is a really good chance that what Jesus is going to teach us today, if you'll listen to it, believe it, and respond to it, it might just save you from some incredible disaster. It might just save some marriages in the room. It might just save some jobs in the room. Uh, it might keep you from uh, looking up uh, years or decades from now and your kids having no love or respect for you because of decisions maybe that you have made. Uh, it might save you from a long uh, trajectory of discontentment. It is a very, very powerful parable that Jesus is sharing, and I think it's very, very timely for us. Here's the setting. Uh, Jesus was teaching uh, in, uh, in a large setting, a lot of people there, probably thousands of people. And sometimes uh, when Jesus was teaching, the people in the crowd were very interactive. Um, and, and in this moment, this one gentleman uh, asks a question in the middle of Jesus' story, and he pauses what he's doing, and he uses this as a teaching moment to respond, not just to, to the question that this gentleman has, but he hears the question from this gentleman, realizes that He's probably got an issue or a problem that everybody else in the crowd also does. And so he creates a parable and he tells it to the masses. And he is, uh, through the Holy Spirit and God's Word, going to tell it to us this morning. So, if you are in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, say, ready? 
Someone in the crowd said to him, so this is a person maybe on the front row uh, that just decides this is my moment to get my question in because Jesus seems like a pretty powerful guy. He seems pretty wise. He's got a lot of weight. He's a rabbi, and so uh, I've got a question. I think Jesus can help me out. He can fix my problem. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, not sure what happened. That's like the bulk of the story that we know. Apparently, he had a brother. They were maybe both there. Uh, maybe they were standing beside each other, and he pointed to him, uh, probably lost a father, and there was an inheritance. And so, he gets Jesus involved and basically wants to be cut in on the inheritance. And Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Okay, a few things that Jesus is saying with that phrase, and he's about to say as he continues interacting with this person and with the crowd, basically he's saying, listen, that's not my place. Uh, that there's a lot of things that Jesus uh, would say, this is my place, but being a, an arbitrator and getting into um, all the legalities of inheritance, he says, that's not my place. Um, but he is going to say, that's actually, not even that's not my place, that's not actually your problem. Like he, he did have a problem and he had a challenge, but it wasn't what he thought it was, okay? The, the, this man that asked a question thought he had a problem. Jesus recognized he actually had a deeper problem that this man was unaware of, and it was probably going to cause some damage down the road. And so Jesus, as he so often does, people ask Jesus a question and he just doesn't answer it. He answers the question he wants to answer. And he honestly, he answers the question that's a deeper issue because a lot of times we're, we're familiar with some of the, the issues in the top, uh, but Jesus can, can see through that, can feel through that, can read through that to the things that are deeply going on in our hearts. So he's like, that's not my place, and that's actually not even uh, your problem. Um, and then he just, he just addresses this deeper problem, and the next phrase that we're going to read is like the thesis to this parable. And before we walk into this, I think it would be good and healthy and helpful for us to just kind of, I've, I've talked about this so many times over the years, uh, to make it a really good habit uh, for us to entertain the idea that when the Bible is speaking and when Jesus is speaking to someone, he, there's a good chance he's speaking to us, Okay. There's another way to phrase that. It's like, it's not helpful if we read the Bible and everything we read is for someone else. You with me? It's just a, such a good habit to get into that when you read something, I think he might be talking to me. There's probably something I need to learn from this. I need to respond to. And so he says in verse 15, and he said to them, so he turns his attention from this man with the question to the crowd, and he said to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. Okay, that's, that's the thesis. That's the question. That's the actual problem that this man had that Jesus is going to concoct a story to, to teach us about. And he says uh, uh, to be on guard. Now, sometimes I have sword fights with my kids, especially my youngest son. Uh, he has this little wooden sword that my oldest son made um, that was a bad idea to even let the wooden sword come into the house. But lo and behold, here we are. And sometimes we're having a sword fight. He'll jump up and he'll say what? He'll say, on guard, which means... You're about to get hit. Like he's about to hit you in the shin with his wooden sword. If he says be on guard, that means, oh, something is coming. You need to be aware. You need to look out for whatever the threat is. Jesus says, 
not just to the people in the crowd that day, to probably to us, take care, be on guard, on guard against all covetousness. Basically, he's saying, you need to watch out. You need to be very careful because uh, certain things are coming at you, and if you're not aware and not on guard, you're going to be swept away. And the case uh, in this uh, study is covetousness, is covetousness. Now, uh, should we be on guard in our current setting against covetousness? Yeah, of all people in all places in the history of humanity, Midlanders, maybe we should be on guard against all covetousness. Because why? Because everything in the world is like trying to, to uh, and especially advertising and media, it's trying to actually push us towards covetousness. If you see ads, you see uh, videos, you see something, they're always trying to sell us something. They're always trying to build up in us a discontentment with what we have, and that if we have this, that'll be uh, better. And if we have that car, then all of our problems will go away, and if we have a nicer house, It'll be awesome if we have a raise, and if we have this and that and this and that. Like everything around us in our culture is stirring up in us covetousness. I bet you have never seen the ad that says, you know what? You probably have enough stuff already. Your car is fine. It still runs. You don't need to upgrade. You know what? I was going to sell you this, but you should probably just be content with what you have. You know what? Never mind. You've got more than you need. You should probably downsize and get something older and with more miles and use that money to go help somebody that needs it. Like, you're just not going to hear that. What are you going to hear? You're going to hear all these things that are teaching us and discipling us to be covetous people. So, Jesus says... Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. And it's interesting, he doesn't say against covetousness. He says all covetousness, which means like covetousness uh, is kind of a big umbrella. It can incorporate a couple different things. Uh, That word can be used oftentimes interchangeably with greed, um, to be aware, to be on guard against greed, against financial craving, like just wanting more money, against the desire to be uh, rich at all costs, want uh, this coveting, like wanting what others have and being frustrated maybe that they have it. Uh, the, the hope for more money and the thought that that will actually make things better and make us more content. Is any of this applying to anybody yet? <laughs> Is this an important message for people in Midland in 2022? Absolutely. Okay? If you're like, nope, never struggled with any of that. I can't help you. <laughs> like, I think that's just the human condition that we are all prone to uh, treat money in, 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 a, in a faulty way and elevate it in a place beyond that it, its design. And we're all prone to covetousness, and it causes a lot of problems. And so Jesus is going to create a parable and a story, and here is his thesis. He's trying to teach us to take care and to be on guard against all covetousness. And so here is the second half of his thesis statement, because Jesus says, for one's life, and and, and what he's about to say is really deep down what I think probably a lot of us believe. I don't think we would say it with our words, but with our actions, uh, we, we probably believe this more than we would let on to others. Jesus says, for one's life does not consist 
and the abundance of his possessions. That is a difficult thing to believe and to live out in Midland, Texas, because everything that we're, uh, we're taught to believe and we're, uh, we're fed through the media and even some things coming from the inside from our own uh, sinful hearts would say, well, your life and your possessions, they're kind of tethered together. And so the more possessions you have, the better your life is going to be, the more content you're going to be, the more joy you're going to have. So Jesus, like, just like he, he was trying to disconnect life and possessions, like, the, like the, the greater possessions that you have, that doesn't mean that your life is better. He's like, here's the lie that we might be tempted to believe. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So let's all take a moment and to admit probably that we feel, you know, that those things are a lot more connected than Jesus does. And I would say this, I would say, let's all take a moment to think it's kind of a dumb thing if we have the, the information that we have in the world today to look at just kind of the, the trajectory of, uh, of countries and cultures and economies. Like from where we're standing, it's a dumb thing for us to believe the more money and possessions we have, the better our life is going to be. Why is that? A lot of reasons. One, we live in maybe the most peaceful and prosperous country and culture in the history of mankind. And you know what it's not marked by? Contentment. <laughs> like nobody on the planet can look. It's like, oh, we will more money and, and more peace than them. And it just hasn't, the, the possessions have not brought the life value maybe that we thought it would, or even in your own life. I know many of us in there, maybe not all of us, uh, but what you have right now, your salary, your bank account, your net worth, whatever the possessions you own, it's probably what you hoped for at some point in the past, right? At some point in the past, like when we were, when I was 16, I worked for the city of Amarillo Parks and Rec Department, uh, mowing and edging uh, all of the public parks in Amarillo, Texas. In the summertime, it was horrible. And I got paid $5.15 an hour, uh, which was also horrible. And I remember thinking, if I could make $7 an hour, like all of my problems will be gone and I will be content. And then the day came that I was making, what, $7 an hour. And here I am. I'm a pastor. There you go. You know, we did it. Uh, just kidding. And, and you, but you don't get to $7 an hour and think, oh my gosh, praise God, it is just as awesome as I thought it would be. No, what do you think? $10 an hour would be awesome. $50,000 a year would be awesome. $100,000 a year would be incredible. If I could just make a quarter of a million dollars, like you are, most of you right now, where you wished you could be at some point in the past, and my guess is that without Jesus, you're not just basking in contentment. Why? Because they're not as connected as we are taught to believe. So what should we do? Be on guard against covetousness. Jesus is trying to help us see money and possessions in a right and a godly way. And if we don't view money and possessions correctly, it's going to do some damage to our life. Are y'all ready for the parable? Okay. Verse 16, here's the parable. So we all, we're all on the same page. What Jesus is trying to communicate, he's trying to save us from a life of covetousness. He's trying to teach us to actively, consistently, day by day to be on guard, and he tells a story like this. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
So the guy in the story, made up man, he was already rich. He already had a lot of money, already had a lot of land. He probably had worked pretty hard. Maybe he'd even prayed to God to give him uh, rain and, and, and good crops. And uh, he, he had a lot already. And then boom, he just had a banner year. If you could translate it to us, like oil was up. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, oh, what shall I do? I have a problem. For I have nowhere to store my crops. So his problem was he had too many crops for his barns. Translating that to us, like he had so much money, his bank account couldn't even hold it. Some of you are like, I wish I had that guy's problems. If my bank would just call me and say, listen, you're going to have to open another account. We can't handle anymore. It's full. That was his problem. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. Look at the tense of what he's saying. It's, it's future. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will. See, it's always a futuristic thing. It's not even for him, a contentment in the moment. It was always something that was about to happen, just about to happen. The next day it would happen and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul in the future, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Basically, he was thinking that all of his money and possessions would fix all of his problems and he would never have any challenges in life and he's finally arrived and he will be absolutely content and joyful. Verse 20, Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus had a way of being very pointed. Amen? <laughs> and what he is trying to do, like, I think, I think we will listen to his words and respond to them better if we actually trust his heart, uh, trust that Jesus is actually trying to shift us back onto a life of joy and meaning. He's not trying to ruin our fun or keep you from a lake house or a boat or a new house or a new car. He's actually trying to do something that's more healthy for our soul as we see possessions as they're supposed to be seen. So he, he tells us and he warns us um, to be on guard against coveting. So I want to work through a few things. If Jesus goes out of his way to listen to this guy's question, to think, oh, he, he has a problem. He wants me to divide the inheritance with his brother. But his deeper problem is, is, is covetousness or greed. And then he takes the moment to have a teaching moment with everybody. Then I want to walk through what would it look like for us to be on guard against all covetousness, like to learn from what Jesus is saying and to respond to it. Uh, I think we need to know a part of the reason uh, why uh, Jesus wages war on coveting, why it's bad for the human soul. So a few things I want to work through, and then we'll get to some practical uh, thoughts from this for us. Number one, why, why does Jesus care so much about coveting? Number one, coveting is idolatry, all right? Everybody say idolatry. Coveting is idolatry. Idolatry uh, is, there is, okay, there is God who is the creator of all things and deserves to be worshiped. 
right? He has created us so that we will worship Him. And all of the things that He's created are, were meant to be good and meant to be uh, tools for us to use to worship God. Idolatry is when you take Creator out of His rightful place and put anything that's in creation in that spot and treat it as God, treat it as ultimate. Covetousness is taking God off and putting money or possessions in and tr- worshiping, in a sense, God and expecting things from money and possessions that only God can give. Like, do not covenant, right? Like, do not covet. That, that's a big enough deal that it made the top ten, like the, the, the Ten Commandments that were written down on the, 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 the tablets and brought down from Moses, it's such an important thing to Jesus that that's one of the, the Ten Commandments because coveting is idolatry. It's worshiping the, the, the gift and not the giver. And at the end of the day, if we covet, which is idolatry, what tends to happen is that we don't use our money and possessions to glorify God, we try to use God to get money and possessions, which is what we're actually after if we're covetous. You all with me? Jesus is not a big fan of idolatry. He wants us to worship Him, and covetousness is idolatry. So that's number one. Number two, uh, coveting actually makes us very ungrateful. It makes us ungrateful for what we have because if, you're, if, if you covet or if you uh, are, are, are like prone to greed, what that does is that fixes your attention not on what you have, but on what you lack. And there's always going to be something that we lack. And so if you read through this parable, you never see this man pray and thank God for the rain and thank God for the blessing because he was thinking about the next thing. Uh, in, our, in our place, it's so, it's so easy in our culture to always see the ads and see the advertisement for something new and something bigger and something flashier and to think, I just, I just need a little bit of an upgrade. And it does something in our heart that moves us away from being grateful for the unbelievable amount of blessings and resources and possessions that God has blessed us with. We want to be grateful and thankful people towards God, giving thanks for who He is and what He's done and how He's blessed us. And covetousness keeps us from being grateful because we're always focused on what we don't have. Number three, coveting never ends. Uh, and, and coveting and discontentment are, are like kind of Siamese twins joined at the hip that kind of always go together, that unless we uh, listen to Jesus and deal with our covetousness, it's just like this long, uh, long life that we're destined for of just not being content. I, I've used this analogy before, but what, like in the cartoons when I was growing up, they would always have an animal. I feel like it was a horse, but I'm not sure. And then they would have a stick and a carrot, right? Was it a horse? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, just save us all, just answer the question and let him move along. Let's say it's a horse and there's a carrot and the, horse, the, the horse's mentality is like, oh, it's just one step, like one step and I've got it. And what does he do? He takes one step and what happens? He's not any closer to the carrot. So what does he say? Nothing. He's a horse. He can't talk. But he thinks in his little horse brain, he's like, oh, just one more step. Like, I'm so close. I'm almost there. I can taste the carrot. And he takes, and you could do that for like miles and miles and miles. And what does the horse keep thinking? Just one more step. Just one more. Like, that's how 
you can have a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year and still be discontent. Why? Because covetousness. There's no ends to the discontentment that covetousness produces in the human heart because it has nothing to do with the amount, right? Imagine a sifter or a colander that has holes in the bottom and you're trying to pour sand in there and as fast as you can pour the sand in, the sand is pouring out the bottom to think, well, gosh, if I'm going to fill this thing up, I'm just going to have to pour faster. Isn't that faulty thinking? It's the same thing with trying to be content with money and possessions. There is no end to coveting because it has n- because covetousness and discontentment have nothing to do with the amount of money that you have. And it has everything to do with the position of your heart. How you view possessions has everything to do with contentment. See, everyone in the room could walk out content today, and it would have nothing to do with getting a raise or making more money. It would have everything to do with changing a mentality and a perspective on how we view our possessions and how we treasure Jesus Christ above all things. The quickest way to contentment is not making more money. It's having a change of a mindset. Like Jesus is trying to get us off of this, this rat race, this hamster wheel of, uh, of covetousness. Number four, coveting is destructive. Greed is destructive. The love of money, this is all under the banner of all covetousness, it is very destructive. Let me read from the Apostle Paul himself, and I could share story after story after story after story that would validate what Paul's about to say. But those who desire to be rich, which I probably need to take a little caveat, like there's, there's nothing wrong with working hard, making money. There's nothing wrong, honestly, with getting rich. But there's like this, this intention that's wrapped up in this, like, that's all, that's all I care about. That's all I'm focused on is I just need to make more money. I've got to be rich. And Paul says, but those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, which could be greed or covetousness, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Covetousness and greed is a real problem. Not just in the world, not just in America, but in Midland. And so to heed Jesus' words, to be on guard against it. How do we be on guard? I've got three very simple things for you as I just read over and over and over through this parable um, this week. Um, I think number one, you see the antidote to, to covetousness or generosity or, or, or selfishness or greed is, is practicing consistent generosity. That's the only antidote to covetousness and greed on a financial level, right? If we have this kind of innate problem to, to view money or possessions in an ungodly way, and to, to, what you see is like when, when Jesus was, was discussing this parable, the guy wanted to spend everything on himself. Everything he had made was, was for his self and for his own blessing. You see uh, in verse 21, Jesus said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. Um, that there is a direct link between selfishness, 
and covetousness. And so to break selfishness, generosity, having open hands, and consistently having a position to give to others is, is an incredibly strong thing to break the chains of covetousness, uh, to, to, to practice uh, consistent generosity. Um, if you look through the, the pages of the New Testament, uh, Old Testament both, the whole Bible, it talks about Christians being generous. Why? Well, mainly because we believe God is a very generous God, that God has given us all things um, Christ being the most valuable, and He didn't spare Christ. He's a generous God. So, as we learn uh, to follow Jesus and be like Jesus, uh, we become more generous. And I think, obviously, there's a way in which Christians giving uh, like a tithe through a church forwards the mission of Jesus to make disciples. But sometimes I think just like a general posture of generosity like open-handedness, it's not just good for the mission, but as people come into your life and you live your life with generosity, you get to bless them, and it actually has a positive effect on you consistently, daily, weekly, breaking the chains of covetousness. Number two, consider what pleases God and not what impresses your neighbor, okay? All of the neighbors of the rich guy in the parable were probably like, man, crushed it. Worked so hard, got such an awesome return. Look at that. His barns couldn't even hold it. He tore them down. He built bigger barns. Everything is awesome. Like everybody else was just like kind of cheering this guy on because all they could see was what on the out was what on the outside, not was not what was on the inside. And and so what 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 the crowds and and the neighbors were probably saying of this guy, like, man, he is just crushing. He's got everything that we want. God looks at him and he said, what? You fool! He, he calls him a fool, and so you've like, got to be really careful like who you're trying to please, because motivation is everything. Consider what pleases God, not just what impresses your neighbor. And last but not least, I think this is really the moral of the story. What we're supposed to learn through this is that remember often that Christ is our greatest treasure. Like, if you're going to fight covetousness, you've got to remember often, often, often that Jesus is our most precious treasure. He's worth more than riches. He's worth more than houses. He's worth more than cars. He's worth more than everything. And we, when we shift a position where Jesus is on the throne rightly where he deserves for all of our resources and possessions used to worship and respond to him, it puts things rightly in order. And then we get to enjoy and to use the money and possessions that he's given us. If we see Jesus as the ultimate treasure, if you see money as the ultimate treasure, you will go after it with all of your heart. If you see Jesus as your ultimate treasure, you'll go after him with all of your heart. And the end of those roads are very different places. I want to read a quote as I close this morning that just grabbed my attention this week, and I think it sums up um, just what we're trying to do as Jesus followers in a very greedy world. And the quote says this. It says, the greater the things that you love in your life, the more joy you will have. If you love small things like clothes and video games and money, you will have little joy. And if you love great things like your family and your friends and the work of your hands, you will have a lot of joy. And if you ever should learn to love the God who made you, 
bing, 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 he says, you will have hit the jackpot, and even in your inevitable griefs and sorrows, you will know the true joy of life that leads to greater joy still. Be on guard against all covetousness. How do you do that? You treat Jesus Christ as your ultimate treasure. I invite you to bow your head to close your eyes. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to to teach us, to minister to us, to encourage us, perhaps even to uh, convict us this morning to hear and to heed Jesus' words. Christ, we love you. God, you are worth more than the sum of all the riches in this world. Father, I pray that you might convince us of that day in and day out. Someone in this room that maybe has never considered your worth, I pray that you would convince them of that in their hearts, that they might be willing to do what Paul did and just abandon everything to count it as rubbish, that they might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of their own, but that which is found through faith in Christ. Father, I pray that you would loosen the chains of greed on our hearts. God, I pray that you would fix our eyes on Jesus who is worthy and that you would help us to use then the the money and the possessions that you've given us uh, to make much of Jesus and to show the world that he is in fact our greatest treasure. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We need you. I pray this through your name. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.